Welcome to the Her Inspired Journey podcast, a show all for women about living your best life and fulfilling your passions from the back country to the table. No matter where you are, what hurdles you faced, or where you want to go next, we're right here on this journey with you. It's time to take charge, pave your way, and create success. Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of the Her Inspired Journey podcast. I'm excited about today. It was recorded a little bit differently than what I typically do. I got to talk to Sarah Gamash. She is from uh, Washington, and we just really dove in. We didn't have any pre-planned topics to really discuss. And she's somebody who grew up very much like me. She started uh, hunting at age 11 with her dad. And just had the mentorship and the leadership of her father to really kind of set her on the right path in the outdoors. And since then, she's gone on to do a lot of solo hunting. Um, We even talk about her hunts from last fall and a really cool elk story that she has. And she is a mom of two. Her husband is deployed six to eight months out of the year in the military. So she definitely has this roller coaster of trying to figure out, you know, how to work childcare into getting herself you know, in the opportunities to be hunting. So it was really neat just to talk to another mom who is a business owner and who has a very full schedule and just figure out how she manages to kind of use her time wisely and to get the most out of life. So I think you'll really enjoy this topic. We talk about hunting, being a military wife, raising kids, um, her passion for the outdoors and why she picked up a bow just a year ago. And actually last season shot a really nice four point blacktail up in Washington. So We also talk about the very, very hot and mostly controversial topic of the coined phrase huntress. We talk about what it means to Sarah, how she's really embraced it, and what it looks like to other people and the stereotype that really does resonate with the term huntress. Everybody has a difference of opinion. That is very, very clear. We all know that. But I wanted to dive into my personal views on it, get a taste from her, from how she feels about it. Um, And as somebody who's out there who lives a lifestyle, who grew up hunting, and who can really embrace the feminine side of what she does, it was really nice to hear her perspective as well. Before we get started on today's episode, I do want to remind you we are doing a giveaway on the Monday, May 13th episode. We're going to be doing a drawing, a random giveaway for three free months of training with me as your coach at Her Inspired Fitness. And this is a training program that's all about women in the outdoors, getting you ready for upcoming hunts, whether that's an archery or if you have rifle tags, this is gearing you up to have the strength and stamina for the season, to increase your draw weight, to improve your shooting consistency, and really to get your your entire body, mental and physical, ready for the upcoming season. So in order to get in on that giveaway, go over to Podbean or to iTunes and leave a review on the podcast and make sure you subscribe to the show. We will be doing a random drawing on Saturday, the 11th of May, and that winner will be announced on Monday, the 13th episode. So make sure you stay tuned for that. And today's review of the week is from Jen3182. And she says, the podcast always hits home. The words spoken are truthful and honest and always resonate home and make me adjust life mindset and process in which I choose to live daily. I love all of the tips and advice. Thanks for being so inspirational, Jen. 
Well, thank you so much for the kind words and for not only listening to the podcast, but it sounds like you're listening and you are really making an action plan for making changes in your life that will better enable you to get to the finish line and to reach your success. And that is exactly why this is for. There's a lot of talk, right? There's a lot of things that you can pick up on in social media or on the internet or even just amongst your normal daily, you know, go and and family, friends, coworkers and that kind of thing. But when things get good in life is when you hear those tidbits and those bits of information that really give you, you know, a a cause for stopping and really going, hey, maybe I need to do things a little bit differently. And then when you do them, when they translate to action in your life, that's when things start to change and things get really good. So I appreciate when I hear the feedback of others who are really taking that to heart and doing things with their life. I know all of you are capable of that. So I hope that each episode brings a little bit of inspiration for you and something that'll help carry you through the week. Uh, We are just coming back from Train to Hunt in Ashland, Oregon over the weekend. It was really, really cool. And I have to talk about this for a second because there were so many competitors there and at the very beginning when we were doing the competitors meeting and Kent and Claremont said, so, hey, who who here is new and hasn't done uh, a train to hunt event before? And so many men and women raised their hands. And it was just really, really breathtaking to know that so many people are getting into uncomfortable situations and they're trusting the process. They're just going, I'm not going to be the fastest. I'm not going to be the best shooter. I haven't been training for this all year. I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to have fun. And one of the best things about Train to Hunt, you know, outside of the fact that it really pushes you towards goals to really taking action and to being proactive in your training and your health and your life, but the community of people that surround Train to Hunt and the men and women who come to these events with their families and they come out there just to support one another, to help encourage you as you're running your race and as you're making your shots and as you're doing these challenges. It's just so beautiful. I guarantee you every single person that has gone to a train to hunt or was there this last weekend left with a cup filled of encouragement from other people who started as strangers. And when they left, they were friends and they have a whole new perspective. So huge shout out to everybody that went to train to hunt this weekend. The next train to hunt will actually be uh, in Idaho, and it's going to be on uh, May 25th and 26th. So I will put links to the show notes or links to the event in the show notes. So you guys can go over and check that event if you are in Idaho. Um, but re- regardless, if you see these pop up in your area, I definitely get involved. Even if you come out as a spectator, they're so much fun. They're just rich. They're just full of people who just will light your fire. So I definitely encourage you for that. I apologize about the scratchy voice. I am, uh, it's a combination of getting over a chest cold and screaming my guts out at this event this weekend. So anyways, I hope that you love the show today and make sure if you haven't already got in on the giveaway for the three free months of training with Her Inspired Fitness, that you press pause right now, head over to Podbean or to iTunes, leave the review and subscribe to the show. All right, let's get going. All right. So welcome back to another episode of the Her Inspired Journey podcast. And as always, I'm super thrilled to be talking to my guest today. 
Um, this lady is super cool. She actually is somebody that I've connected with online and she is local to the Pacific Northwest. So we share in each other's struggles of the hunt and the terrain and the unforgiving nature that is the beast of hunting. So today I am welcoming Sarah Gamash to the show. Um, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this and really excited that I got to actually meet you in person before we did this too. That was awesome. Yeah. Last weekend. So definitely. Yeah. So Sarah actually is up there in Washington and she helped me coordinate the event at the Tacoma Sportsman's Club, which was an awesome, awesome place full of ladies who were hungry to get out and, and kick ass. So it was, it was awesome. Super fun. Yeah, that was a good time. And it kind of gave me a good little um, kickstart to my training for my train to hunt event <laughs> that I need to get in gear for because I've been slacking on that. So that was a good, good thing for me to do to start thinking of, you know, what's to come. <laughs> for sure. It's always nice sometimes to have like, it's great to put the goal on the calendar and know that that's coming up. But then sometimes it's easy to get like complacent in actually following through and setting yourself up for the training. So yeah. good. I'm glad that it lit the fire for you. So it did. <laughs> tell us a little bit more about yourself and, you know, your family and your life and what you do up there in Washington. Yeah. So I was um, born and raised in Washington and I um, have two children. I have a boy and a girl. My daughter is getting ready to turn eight this summer and my son's birthday is actually this weekend. He's going to be five. And I'm very blessed to live close to uh, my entire family. So my mom, my dad, and my brother all live within about 20, 30 minutes from me. Um, and then my husband, Caleb, he is from the east side of the mountain. So his family isn't too far away. They're over in Yakima. Um, and we are a military family. I guess that's something that is unique about us. So um, he is he's gone a lot um so a lot of times it's just me and my two kiddos at home um and he has been enlisted for about let's see i think it's well about 15 years now and so there was a brief period of time when i lived on the east coast where we lived in tennessee and also in north carolina but we got very blessed to get restationed back here at Fort Lewis um, a few years ago. And that was huge for us to be able to be back with our families. So I really enjoy being back and also getting to be able to hunt in a territory that I'm familiar with as well. <laughs> it was quite the journey living um, in those other two places and trying to learn what their hunting seasons are like and, and changing that up. So, um, it feels good to be home and we're hoping that we get to stay here now until he uh, retires. That's awesome. And, you know, I, I understand though, through, you know, having somebody, you're ma being married to somebody that's in the military or being military yourself, it takes a huge sacrifice, you know, obviously in the service of your country, which, you know, I greatly appreciate, but also, you know, in the dynamic of your children and raising them and, and the support that you have. So, you know, I just have so much respect for that. So first and foremost, thank you so much, both of you for your sacrifice and for what you guys continue to do. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We appreciate that. Yeah, it's been a journey, but it's been a good one. I think um, I've definitely uh, learned a, a ton from it and, and grown a lot as a person just for, for the experiences that we've had to have, you know, living that lifestyle. 
Oh, I'm sure. Absolutely. And it's definitely not something I can say that I can, you know, personally relate to, but I know that it has to be, you know, you have to be a specific, you know, mindset in a, in a very strong willed and determined person to be able to go through and adapt to those changes as they happen so frequently and require so much in the way of patience, you know, in, in getting through that together and, and being patient for your spouse to return. So how do you find, like, I know when we kind of talked a little bit over last weekend in person and I said, like, is that, is that hard or do you feel like you guys have kind of adapted to it? And obviously it sounds like you guys have kind of grown into how this is comfortable and how it works for you. But like, how has that path been for you in trying to figure out that, that place where it becomes okay? Um, well, it was definitely a journey. It, it took a while to get to that point. Um, I didn't know anything about military lifestyle. I don't know before I met my husband, I didn't know not even a single person that was in the military. So it was completely foreign to me. In fact, I almost could say that I made it a point to kind of avoid, like, I didn't think I ever wanted to date or be with someone, you know, who was in the military. So, when I met my husband, um, we met at a bar, ironically, and he had told me that he was a firefighter. So I was like, okay, it's firefighters, it's cool, you know, guy in uniform, every woman, you know, finds that attractive. And so we hit it off good and we went on a few dates and I think it was like a month into it. Um, you know, we had, we had gone out a few times. I think he must have decided that he wanted to pursue something with me and continue dating. And so he sat me down one day and he said, I have to tell you something. I'm like, oh, great. What is he going to tell me? You know, and he's like, I, I kind of lied. I'm, I'm not a firefighter. I'm actually a Green Beret. And I didn't know what that was. Like, I literally had no idea. I just kind of like sat there blank face, which I could tell was kind of insulting to him that I didn't automatically know what that was. So I was like, okay, are we like talking army or what's a Green Beret? And He's like, yeah, I'm in the Army um, Special Forces. I was like, okay, wow, that's not something I was expecting. So I literally went home and Googled, like, after that conversation, what is a green brand? I mean, that's how foreign this was to me. I had no idea. So I, you know, figured out what it was, and I was like, okay, I have to make a decision here. Like, am I going to keep going with this? And it's like, by that point, I was pretty hooked. Like, he had me hooked. He he waited just the right enough amount of time to tell me to break this news to me. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go with it. So, um, when we were dating, he was actually stationed in Tennessee at the time, but he was in Washington for training for three months. So when his training was over, he said, you know, I, I have to go back to Tennessee. That's where I'm currently stationed. And what do you want to do? And I said, well, let's just try a long distance relationship and we'll see what happens. And so we did that. And he actually deployed, um, after we'd only been dating for three months, he deployed to Iraq. So we, we stayed together, did the long distance thing during his deployment. Then when he got back from his deployment, I got pregnant <laughs> right when he got back. So, um, we decided at that point that, um, you know, I was going to move to Tennessee. And so that was probably the first real big adjustment in this whole journey was I'm, you know, lived in Washington my whole life. All my friends and family are here. It's all I've ever known. And now I'm going to uproot, move to the complete other side of the country, which was quite the culture shock for me. Um, 
and then starting to live this lifestyle that I really know nothing about, that I have no experience with, you know, a military lifestyle, and then also having my first child. So there was a lot of big adjustments right off the bat that I had to learn to adapt to, and it was rough. I definitely don't want to say it was easy by any means because it, um, it, it was it was a struggle, especially for the fact that I didn't have my support system there. So those first few years were kind of just trying to get used to what it was going to be like um, having him gone and then also not having my friends and family. Um, so we lived in Tennessee for a couple years, and then we decided we need to try to get back to Washington. Like I kind of told him, like, I can handle this, but I definitely think it'd be easier if I was back home. So he applied for a school, and the only two places that this school was taught was in Washington, at Fort Lewis, and in North Carolina. So he applied for it, and he got it, and we're all excited, but the Army, being the Army, said, yeah, you can have that school, but it's not going to be the one in Washington. It's going to be the one in North Carolina. So we left Tennessee and moved to North Carolina. Um, and we spent three years there. And so I would definitely say that the hardest part was when we lived in, in those two places. Um, and it didn't start getting easier until we got restationed back home at Fort Lewis. Um, and I think the biggest difference is having my support system back. So that's been huge, getting back with friends and family. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, It's really imperative to be able to have that support. And it's one thing to have it you know, online or the phone or text message or, you know, updated phone calls, but to be able to really have the support, especially I think when you have kids, you know, like there's so much to navigate during that time anyways, that to have your friends and loved ones next to you to go, I'm losing my mind. Can you help me? <laughs> or yeah. Can, yeah. Or can we just spend time together and have that cup filled? It's, it is very important to have that. Yeah, and I think, like I had said to you, too, when we were talking, that it um, has gradually gone easier for me, and then I watch how it, it's getting harder on my kids, because, you know, when they're young and they're infants, they don't really understand about dad being gone, and then as they get older, um, they know, you know, and they start asking, like, how long till dad gets home, and um, at that age, too, at the age my kids are, they don't have a real sense of time. So when you tell them a couple months, like, that doesn't mean a whole lot to them. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, I think, now been the, the newest, most recent challenge that we're working with is just um, the kids, you know, helping them get through it. Yeah, I bet. That's got to be a really hard emotional, you know, tug, too, to try to help them cope with that the feelings, right, of, of missing that super important role model in their life. Right. Yeah, that's tough. So something that you said actually during our chat was that during your guys' relation, there's been like an accumulation of like three years that you've actually been together. Three years that we've had to be apart. apart. So we've been together for about 10 years, married for nine and at least three years accumulatively that he's been gone. Um, he usually is gone about six to eight months out of every year. That's a lot. Um, it is. It adds up. Yes, definitely. <laughs> it's, um, and he's home. He So he was just gone for about a month, and he just got home. And we'll have him around for another couple months, and then he's going to deploy again, um, and he'll be gone for, for about six months. Wow. Well, so, yeah, it's the coming, coming and going that – that gets rough. Um, and 
I just remember like when I, when we first got married and he started leaving on his trips and he'd, he'd be gone for long periods of time and he'd come home and you'd think, okay, well, he's been gone. So surely they're going to let him have a couple days off. And that's not really how it works. Like there's been times where he's got back from like a six month deployment and literally gone to work the very next day and just goes right back into a nine to five work schedule. Um, so that, that was the hard part for me, you know, and it's funny cause I have, you know, my friends are on the same boat where they, they don't really have any exposure to anyone in the military besides me now and my family. And so they'll just say, well, how can they do that? He just, he just got home. How can they make him leave again or go back to work right away? And I'm like, well, they can do whatever they want. You know, like they basically own you. The army owns him, um, while he's under contract. So it's just how it goes. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. That's crazy. I mean, and and then here we are sometimes complaining about how much workload we have to deal with. It definitely puts things into perspective. Right. Yeah, he he works hard. I mean, he's an amazing man. He definitely um, is unique in the fact that he has done a phenomenal job at um, working really hard at his job. And do, he's very successful. He's had a, two or three promotions just in the time we've been together. But also being able to balance that out and still be a phenomenal father and, um, husband, you know, like he's, he does a good job at doing the balance of those two things. Oh, that's wonderful. So I got really lucky with that. Yeah. Good. Something that's very unique between you guys. And I heard a little bit about this, um, from you and also from a little segment that you did on a sports show radio that he is not at all a hunter. Well, he wasn't when we met. He was not. He had never hunted before. Correct. So he's starting to get into it now, and he had he has shot some deer. Um, but when we first met, um, he had never hunted before or been exposed to that lifestyle. So, yeah, that was interesting. So um, he, like I said, he started now just uh, recently over the past couple years. Um, part of the reason, too, why he can't really get more into it as far as a lifestyle, like, like I do is because he's just not home enough. Uh-huh. Um, he's just gone so much. Like last year he was gone during hunting season. And then this year he's going to be gone during our hunting season. Um, which makes it challenging for me too, because I do a lot of solo hunting, um, on public lands and, and then I hunt with my brother. If I'm going to hunt with anyone, it's usually with him. But when my husband's gone, you know, I have to find someone to watch our kids for us if I want to go out hunting. So, um, on that radio show that I did, I talked about last fall, I had to hire a nanny. And so she came and kind of like lived with us during my hunting season. So that way I could go out in the mornings and have her stay with the kids. I would do my hunts, um, come home, get the kids ready for school, you know, get their day started. Then I would go to work, get off work, pick up the kids, bring them home, have the nanny watch them for me so I could go out and do like a quick evening hunt and then come back and, you know, do dinner and get them ready for bed. So it's definitely a challenge um, when hunting season rolls around and he's gone. Oh, for sure. One more hurdle. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. And that does make it hard, obviously, to have, you know, to be your single parenting essentially, you know, so then you have to kind of figure out how that juggle is. And I love it. And it makes me laugh so hard because like, 
in my mind, and this is full disclaimer, there's like this a little bit of a stereotype in somebody who hires a nanny, right? Like you would think, okay, they're hiring a nanny because they have some high profile something or they, you know, there there's this a uh, little bit of a stereotype, like, but you're hiring a nanny so that you can go hunting, like, which totally yeah. defies <laughs> the odds of that stereotype altogether. Yes. Yeah, you're right. I guess it does. It's so funny. It's, I love yeah. those, I love those kind of things that just like completely like blow the doors off of any of those kind of like boxed in things, which is really cool. Right. Yeah. So you yeah. and I have a very similar background. We both started hunting at age 11. Having that as a mentor, I think, is something that growing up has taught me a lot, even outside of like the outdoors and hunting. It really just gave so much perspective to have that time with our dads to grow up that way. So talk a little bit about kind of your start in that and what some of your first experiences that are really memorable to you. Yeah, um, just like you said, when I was 11 is when I started hunting. And um, my parents have been divorced since I was like one. So they always had split custody of me where my mom would have me during the week and my dad would have me on the weekends. Um, so when I would go see my dad on the weekends, my favorite time was, you know, during hunting season, cause we would spend all weekend in the woods. Um, and I mean, he was taking me out hunting with him before, um, I went through hunter safety and started doing it myself. So I was excited, you know, when I finally got to carry a gun as well and actually hunt with him. And I think the very first time that he took me out, um, it was out on some public lands behind our house and there was a huge, huge four by four mature blacktail that we saw that was standing like in this really tall scotch broom and it would have been a hard shot. And he, he saw and he's like, Sarah, get ready. There's, there's a huge buck right there. I want you to get it. And I was not quick enough. You know, I'm only 11. It's like my first year out. Um, it's all still new to me. And so he felt really bad about this, but he kind of had to take the shot because I didn't get up and get ready fast enough. And he didn't want this one to get away. And um, it turned out to actually be one of the one of the nicest deer that, that he shot. It was it was a nice one. It would have been a great first buck, but I like I said, I just wasn't ready yet. Um, and I remember him. He he got it gutted out, and then he he left it there. And he's like, okay. Now I'm going to have you sit here and wait while I go back to the house. And I think he was going to like go get our quad so that he could drive it out there and try to, you know, get it back home. And I just remember like being 11 and I knew where I was and we weren't too far from home, but him leaving me there so he could go get the quad. And I was just like, Oh my God, what if like a cougar comes or something? <laughs> like I swear being so scared and he it didn't take him long and he showed back up. But um, yeah, he has always had me be involved you know, from start to finish, um, as far as like going out and scouting to doing the actual hunts together and then to being able to help, you know, after you have a successful kill, you know, mm -hmm. like teaching me how to get the animals, getting back, getting them back home and hung up and skinned out all the way through to, you know, the, the butchering process. So I have a, a lot of fond memories growing up doing all that stuff with him. That's so fun. It's, it's awesome to have that into, you know, I talk with a lot of people who didn't have that. And it's funny because that's all I knew, just like that's all you knew. That's how you grew up. So to have grown up in a way in an area or with a family that wasn't in my mind, that traditional like hunting family where you, you learn that you learn the tradition of going out there and going hunting and, 
and notching tags and dressing animals and, and skinning them out and taking them, you know, like that for me is what I knew. So when I talk to people now who didn't grow up that way, it's very eye opening to understand that, you know, when you hear about people talking about just diving into hunting, it's hard to really understand the full capacity of like trying to learn that as an adult, as opposed to just growing up that, that way, you know, and, and having that ingrained into your DNA. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely feel very blessed that that's, you know, that's how it happened for me. Cause I, like you said, there's adults that are just trying to figure it out. And I, I think nowadays there's a lot of good resources out there for people that are just trying to start out, you know, as adults. But I, I mean, I don't know that I could say I would have ended up where I am now if it wasn't for my dad, you know, teaching me that way. For just sure. like, you know, my husband, like him saying um, his, that his dad never took him out to do that stuff. And that's why he had never hunted before. And maybe if him and I had never met and I didn't get him into hunting, you know, he might not be doing it now either. So I, I feel very blessed to have that upbringing. Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of touches on something though, because I'm a, I would consider myself to be a very new archery hunter. I've only been doing it for four years. I think you said you have been right about a year. So it's really cool because I don't know exactly about your story, but for me, having grown up with a rifle in my hand and rifle hunting for so many years, at some point after I went on to hunt solo, my dad was doing different things and he was caring for a sick family member. So I was, it was either I hunted alone or I didn't hunt. So, you know, I spent a lot of years hunting with a rifle in my hand, found, you know, great success, notch tags, filled the freezer. It was all good. But at some point I felt like, you know, right around like 2930, like I want a new challenge. Not that not that rifle hunting isn't a challenge in itself, but I feel like I've refined enough of those skills that I can do it successfully. And now I want to struggle just a little bit to understand a new method and a new way of hunting. So I'm curious to know what sparked your interest in getting into archery in the last year or so and and kind of how that's developed. Yeah, so um, my my brother was actually quite a bit into archery, and like I said, um, he's also someone that I you know shared that lifestyle with, and him and I hunt a lot. But it sounds kind of crazy to say I was almost against archery hunting. I, I don't know if against it's the right word, but I was apprehensive about it because I just saw a lot of people that were doing it that. Um, were wounding animals and not recovering animals. And I, it kind of put a bad taste in my mouth. Like I don't, you know what I mean? Like all of us as hunters want to have the most ethical kill possible. We don't want to wound animals. That's obviously worst case scenario. And that's just kind of what I associated archery with that you didn't have as many successful kills. And so I was apprehensive to try it. And then I got an Instagram account. And as you know, there's like so much stuff out there now um, in the hunting world on Instagram um, that you can follow. And I started seeing a lot of other women out there who were bow hunting. And I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. Like I personally didn't know any females that owned a bow or the bow hunted. Um, So I started seeing that on there and I was like, okay, well, if they can do it, you know, I could probably do it. And then um, as cliche as this is going to sound, you know, I came across Cameron Haynes and watched his, you know, stories and his feed constantly. And I was like, okay, well, here's someone who's out there who's successful every time they go bow hunting and he's not out there wounding animals. Like, and why is that? Well, he's practicing every single day. Like we all know his motto, you know, you get out there and you shoot every day. So I was like, well, 
that's what it's going to take. You know, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it the right way. And I'm going to, you know, make sure once I get my bow, I'm going to shoot every single day. So I um, went to Sportco, a local sporting goods store, and took my brother in with me since he already knew about archery and, and um, worked with the the guy there behind the counter to get me set up, just said, you know, what do you recommend? And he recommended the Eva Shockey Bowtech. He got it all set up for me, and I went home, and I started shooting, and I was just, like, immediately hooked. Like, immediately. I was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. Um, it's not even going to be considered, you know, like, hard work for me to come out here and shoot every day. Like, I actually want to. Like, I just became so obsessed with it. So um, I got my bow in March of last year, and I literally shot it almost every single day leading up to um, archery season. And the first day of archery season, I got um, very blessed to shoot my first animal. I got a nice black tail, four point black tail on opening day. And it was a good shot. And he only went about 30 yards and dropped. And I like, rest is history. Like I can't say that I'll ever rifle hunt again. I might strictly <laughs> stick with bow hunting now. We'll see. That's so awesome. Good for you. The practicing component of that story, though, is like the like the highlighter. Get the highlighter out on that. Like it does take a lot of practice in any new skill that you're trying to refine. The re the repetition of getting your body to develop that f like flawless as flawless as it can be. The, the mechanics and the motor control behind it, right? Which is so important because, you know, if you practice anything, they say that practice makes perfect, right? But only perfect practice makes perfect. So you have to be doing right. things the right way. So kudos to you for really, you know, taking control of that, shooting every day. And obviously it led to your success, success which is awesome. Yeah, like I said, I just fell so in love with it that it um, that's all I wanted to do. And it kind of was something that I used to help me, um, with Kate, with my husband being gone, you know, that I could kind of, um, set goals with that and use it as a, a bit of a distraction, um, to do and keep me busy while, while he's gone. So that's, it's almost like a therapy, like when I get out and shoot, you know, like I, I put everything else aside, all my other, you know, stressors, and I just kind of get in my element, and, you know, it, it's what makes me happy. So I'm, I'm glad to have found that. It is truly, I can say, like, been life-changing for me. Amen to that. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It is such a therapy. And it's nice because it's one of those things where you really, you can have any kind of day, good, bad, ugly, there can be drama, there can be anything, but when you can just take a time out to grab your bow to, you know, send some arrows down range, it is truly a therapy session like no other. Yes, definitely. And then add that with a little bit of fitness, like when we did your fitness seminar and it's just like the complete package. <laughs> Absolutely. It's awesome. Oh my gosh, that was so much fun. I would uh, snap my fingers and be back up there doing that class in a heartbeat. That was so fun. <laughs> Even though yeah. we started out with a little bit of hail, we, we powered right through it. I know. The weather <laughs> finally broke for us. Yeah, it was a perfect day. That's awesome. So not only did you kill a nice four-point blacktail last year, but you also have a pretty epic Roosevelt elk story. Let's hear that. 
Yeah, so my elk, I had um, gotten lucky enough to get a multi-season tag, which in Washington, that means that you can hunt all weapons, which was perfect because since I had my bow, um, and I also have always muzzleloader hunted as well. So since um, I had all three weapons, I could utilize the full seasons, which basically start in September and then go all the way through to like mid-December. Um, and so I got that nanny because I knew that I was going to need help with the kids since my husband was deployed. She came and stayed with us. Um, and after I shot my deer, uh, with my bow, I really had it in my mind that that's how I wanted to get my elk too. So I started out bow hunting, um, and went out every morning and then did my routine during the day and then did an evening hunt. Um, and I, I saw some good bulls at the beginning of the season and I just couldn't close the distance on them. So I think the closest I ended up getting to one was about 75 yards. Um, and I wasn't personally comfortable taking a shot past 40. So I was having a lot of trouble closing the distance on the shots. Um, and then when muzzleloading season came around, I decided I still wanted to use my bow. So you can downgrade weapons. So I still was hunting with my bow, um, still seeing lots of elk. You know, the rut was kind of um, kicking off during that time. So they were very vocal. I had my brother with me for some of my hunts where he was doing some calling for me, but I just still wasn't quite able to close the distance um, and, and get a shot with my bow. And then, um, let's see. So then I did, I did finally switch over to my muzzleloader <laughs> after a while and did a couple hunts with my brother. Um, we saw some cows, but still didn't get into any good bulls. So then by the time, um, the late seasons rolled around, it was December and I was like, okay, I'm kind of running out of time here. I don't know that I'm going to be able to get one with my bow like I originally wanted. Um, so I just kind of uh, resulted to using my muzzleloader. And there was a really nice bull that I had been watching from July. I had pictures of him on my trail camera in Velvet, and he was he was a great bull. He was definitely, um, his body was huge, so I knew I was going to get a lot of good meat on him, and his antlers were nice. He was a 7x7. Seven and he started coming in right at the beginning of that late muzzleloading season. And I was pulling my camera card and kind of trying to pattern him to see, because I noticed that he was, he was being consistent on when he was coming out. It was usually late morning. So I was like, okay, like now that I know what his patterns are, I need to get out there and I just need to wait. So I had a blind set up and... I got all ready and he came in just like he had been doing for the past few days, right about 1030. Um, and I took the shot and it was a good shot and he didn't go far. And I was just, I mean, there's nothing that's ever going to replace that moment. Like my first bowl, I was by myself and Caleb was still gone. Um, my brother at the time was in Idaho I called my dad. He was at work. I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, who can I get over here to help me with this? And I, I finally got a hold of um, a family friend of ours, and he came out and helped me and then got a hold of my dad, and he got off work, and he came by. So um, it just a phenomenal, like, highlight, you know, in my life, getting that bowl 
and and he was huge and we're uh, still eating on him he um I don't have an exact weight I actually ended up butchering him myself so I don't know what the hanging weight was but um his back straps alone were like over three feet long. Like I have pictures of me holding these back straps, like two handing them because they're so heavy. Um, so yeah, and I'm, I'm going to, um, get, get him mounted too. So I'm looking forward to having him up in our house and being able to look at him every day and remember that moment. (laughs) That is freaking awesome. Your husband is a lucky man. Just imagine him being overseas and, you know, just connecting with you and being like, look at my wife. <laughs> look at what she's doing when I'm gone. That... Yeah, he's proud. He's extremely supportive of me. And, I, yeah, I think he, he likes likes bragging. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so awesome. I have this giant, ridiculous smile on my face right now. But, you know, and how cool for your kids to be able to see, like, look at what my mom is, is doing. You know, that's that's super awesome. Yeah, they enjoy it. They, uh, I think, hopefully are going to be future hunters, too. I know my daughter, at least, I I got her a bow, and, and she loves shooting her bow. She's actually getting ready to do it in the talent show at school. I saw that. I think I saw so, a video of that. Yeah. Yeah, so we're getting her ready for that. But, yes, both of them have expressed um, interest in hunting. So I'm really hoping that, that um, they continue you know, being interested in that. And we, we get them outdoors as much as we can and, um, you know, immerse them in the lifestyle just like I was as a kid. So definitely. So going back to, you know, finding him in July, it's, it's summertime and you're picking up on patterns. And I know a lot of times people will say, if you find the elk in the summer, they're going to resort to having the same patterns, you know, come fall. Do you find that to be true up there in Washington? So when the rut hit, um, no, when the rut was on, he was gone. And, um, there were other people that said that they saw him like almost like two miles away from where I was picking him up on my cameras. I don't know for sure if it was my bull, but they had seen pictures of him after I got him and said, Oh, I saw that bull and this is where he was. And he, he traveled. Um, and they do, I mean, during the rut the they'll move, you know, wherever the cows are, they're, they're chasing that tail all day. So I think, um, at least in my experiences in the summer when they're still in velvet, they're pretty consistent on, on their movements and where they're at. And then as soon as the rut hits, you don't know where they're going to be. Um, and then once the rut is over, I think that they do tend to return back to where they know they have a good food source. Um, with my bull, I mean, he, man, he was in rough shape. I'm looking at him and I was like, this guy had a hard rut. Like you could just see it in his movements. He was stiff. He was worn out. And I think he was just looking to go back to a place that was familiar to him, um, that he could like replenish, you know what I mean? Like get his energy back, get his nutrients and minerals back. Um, so at, at least in the areas that I hunt, yeah, I think that eventually when the rut's over, you can expect to kind of find them where they started. Definitely. In the in the summer. So do you have specific tips that you try to, and you know, just like implement as far as using game cameras to pinpoint where they're traveling to and from? Um, I know that some people have specific strategy that they will try to like set cameras, figure out a little bit more of where they're coming from, and they'll continue to move those cameras until they really pinpoint exactly where their, you know, bedding grounds, transitioning areas, and where they're going to feed. Do you have anything like that going on? 
Um, I usually keep my cameras up in the same spots. Um, and I'm, I'm glad I did that because if I would have been moving my cameras trying to chase the elk around, I don't think I would have been successful. I mean, I wouldn't have known that he came back to where he started, you know, at the mm-hmm. end from, mm-hmm. from when I got him. So I think at least leaving one or two in the same spot the entire time that, you know, starting maybe in the early summer all the way through till the end of the season, that there is, some, there is some benefits to that. Cause you know, you might get discouraged when you don't see him. There were periods of time where he was gone for weeks, you know, I wouldn't have anything for weeks. And then all of a sudden, boom, they'll just, they'll come back. So I, yeah, I definitely think that, um, leave some out in the same spot for the whole time. Yeah, we typically leave our cameras hung almost year round. There's, you know, obviously a small window where we don't have any cameras up or we might have one or two. But for the most mm-hmm. part, we're always keeping them up because we're trying to figure out. And, and granted, we are not hunting somewhere that gets a lot of snow. So we're not looking at animals that are moving based on, you know, where the snow levels are at. Um, right. But we'll be able to find that we can see a lot of different consistent patterns that will be specific, obviously, to that time of year. So it's nice to just be able to figure out, like, where are the deer right now, especially, too, if you're wanting to go in and find some sheds. It's nice to know where they are during specific times um, of the winter. But it's nice to be able to kind of just feel like you can get a little bit more of a layout and game plan of where those animals are, what their habits are, what time of day they typically move through, um, if you can, what the wind's doing, what the weather's doing. So um, right. talking strategy for that, it's such a game changer. I didn't use cameras before like three or four years ago. Um, because as a rifle hunter, I never hunted strategically to those same specific areas. Mm-hmm. I, I would hunt, you know, maybe a handful of units, but I would hunt them often. So I knew those areas I'd, I'd frequent them, but I wasn't trying to like go back to like a stand or a, a blind or anything like that. And now that we are, and we do hunt out of um, tree stands for um, sometimes for spring black bear, but also for um, our blacktail season, it's really nice to be able to like get a really good layout of like who's moving through, what kind of animals you have in there. So did you find that you had a lot of other bulls in that area or was he kind of like running that territory? Um, in the beginning, yeah, he showed up when I first had the first pictures of him in July, he there was three of them that, you know, they hang out in those little bachelor groups before the rut starts. And he, um, was the only one that kept coming back consistently. Mm. So Mm. I don't know if the others, um, if they just branched off or they could have gotten shot, you know, during one of the early seasons, I don't know, but he was the biggest one, so I'm not going to complain that he was the one that came back. Yeah. <laughs> I feel very fortunate. So he was definitely the mature, you know, herd bull of the three of them. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, and it a- was crazy because I actually, when we were guiding him out and skating him, he had been shot with a crossbow at some point. Um, so there was a piece of an arrow that was in him. It's just amazing how tough these animals are. Um, and so the whole side of his rib cage was completely, um, scar tissue. So I don't know if it was from the season before or even the season before that, but, um, yeah, it's, it's amazing what they can live through. Is crossbow hunting in Washington legal? It is if you have a permit for it. So they do it for like disabled Copy. Um, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. And I could tell that it was from a crossbow because of the knock on the arrow is a crossbow knock. So that was, that was interesting. Very. To find that in there. 
Wow. Well, you hear those stories too a lot of times where somebody will get an animal down and then during the process of field dressing or skinning out, they find other things. And it's just, it's mind-blowing the will that those animals have to overcome and to live. You know, they are so tough. Yeah, I'm just able to adapt and yeah, it is. It's crazy. Wow, that's nuts. So do you primarily hunt from like a blind or a stand or what is your go-to method of choice? Um, no, not since I got my bow is when I basically put up the ground blind. Um, and that's why I used it for when I was, um, muzzleloading because I already had it up from when I was doing archery, but no, mostly spot and stock, you know, out here for black tail, that's kind of how you do it. Um, stand hunting's not, not real popular. So that's how I grew up was just putting in the miles, you know, and, um, doing it that way or finding a nice clear cut and just kind of sitting and glassing. Um, so the stand hunting and blind hunting is, is something that's new, new to me. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's something that's just to me so peaceful and so rewarding in sitting in a tree stand. And it's like, I have these moments all the time and lots of different scenarios of life where I'm like, I just want to be a fly on the wall. And that's like essentially what I am when I'm out tree stand hunting is I'm like, I'm like the fly on the wall. You get, you get to observe nature for the most part in a very uninterrupted and untouched way. And to me, there's just something so therapeutic of that. And I remember it was like two or three seasons ago and I would drop the boys off at school and I would head up to my tree stand, which was probably about an hour from where I live. And I would, you know, climb into my tree stand, which was, you know, about a half a mile hike out from where I would park. And I would just like sit and listen and smell. And of course, you know, my hope was every time that come, you know, after school and I'm picking up the kids, I've got, you know, game meat in the back of the truck. But um, (laughs) regardless, there's just something to me that that just really allows me to connect with with like the untouched earth. It's, I don't know, it's hard to describe, but, you know, being out and, you know, trying to do spot and stock, or if you're just going into an area where you're expecting animals are going to be at, and you're trying to make moves in there, it's really fun. You almost feel a little bit more like the animal, I think, from the ground than when you're up above and you get to be more of like the observer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I 100% agree. And you don't even... I never realized like how loud the woods were, you know, like when, until I've gotten to a tree stand, because usually when you're walking, you know, all all the sounds just kind of blend together and you hear yourself, you know, walking around. Mm -hmm. But when you're just sitting there trying to hold as still as possible, it's just like, it just comes to life around you. Especially if you get in there like at dark and then as it starts to get lighter and the sun comes up, you start hearing the birds and then it's, yeah, it's almost just like a magical (laughs) feeling, but I agree. It's definitely like therapeutic for me to kind of just be able to sit and take that all in. It really is. It, it really, really is. I actually crave that. And which is crazy for me because I like to hike. I like to climb and move and I'm not very good at sitting, but there's just something about that, that I like really look forward to, you know, late season or getting to go out there in the spring, which we haven't got to do this year. Um, we had this massive winter storm come in, and overnight we got like, I don't know, 18 or 19 inches of snow, oh my gosh. which doesn't sound to like a lot, but in the Pacific Northwest, like <laughs> we don't get that kind lot. of snow where we are. And so we have like these massive trees that just can't handle the weight of that. So oh, right. we got all the snow and then like, like 
a literal bomb went off. There are trees and I have recordings and I'll have to find them and send them to you. But I'm standing out in my backyard. It's pitch black. It's like four in the morning and all you can hear all around me are just massive trees coming down. And it was like that. It was like that for over 24 hours. And so there was actually, they just came back with reports and there was $30 million worth of damage done just, just to county and state property so like highways and guardrails and power lines um just in my county there was 17 million dollars worth of damage and that's not including any of the personal property so oh my gosh when we talk about like it being a massive you know disaster it like literally was so now we're completely locked out of our hunting spot all of our tree stands are up there all of our cameras are up there and we can't even get close because on top of there being all that snow and it looking like pickup sticks happened in these massive trees, yeah. we, we ended up getting so much rain that everything started flooding and created so much landslide that now the road has actually been landslid and you can't, there's no, there's no getting in. Oh my gosh, that's horrible. So yeah, I've, uh, I haven't come to terms with this yet, but oh, needless gosh. to say, I haven't been doing any spring bear hunting because... I've just got to find new areas and find a whole another diff- different method. And, you know, we can do spot and stock here and go in glass cuts, which is, you know, a really effective way to find um, bear in the, in the spring. But for us to do that, it's like to get to a good spot that's, you know, public land is about an hour, maybe an hour and 15 minute drive. And, okay. you know, so, which is fine. It's not too far. That's, that's not bad. But then where the heck do you find the time? You know? like Yeah. Oh yeah. That's so the main problem. Yeah. yeah. I'll have to find a nanny that's close, I guess. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. One more thing I wanted to chat with you about. Obviously I know that you're very uh, fitness minded and you think about, you know, preparing yourself physically so that you don't reach the place where you're on a hunt and you just can't hack it anymore. So how do you uh, prepare for the hunting season? And, you know, how has that really changed what you've been able to do out in the field? Um, Yeah, so I have really gotten involved in a local women's gym called V that I absolutely love. So I try to make sure that I'm going there. I try to do five days a week um, and that those are usually about an hour workout Um, And then in addition to that, especially this year, I'm trying to get much more involved in some of the archery events that include the fitness side of them. So like the train to hunt, the Northwest Mountain Challenge, um, those are it's going to be my first time doing both of those. So I don't know entirely what to expect, but I've seen videos and I watched you do it and they look like they're, they're pretty hardcore. So, um, I'm hoping that, um, both of those things are going to kind of help prepare me, uh, physically. And then I like to just get out and, and do hikes. Um, you know, like this time of year, my brother and I will go out, whether it's, you know, shed hunting or, um, there's some really good, pretty steep hikes near our house that uh, we like to do together. So kind of a variety of things. And it all, all comes down to time for me too. Like I'm so pressed for time. It's like if, if Caleb's home, I tend to have, you know, more time to dedicate towards the fitness side of things and preparing for the hunt. But when he's gone, um, 
I'm, I'm more limited. Um, so right now while he's home, I'm really trying to take advantage of, of doing as much as I can <laughs> to prepare for my season. Gotcha. Definitely. Yeah. So are there any specific things that like in times that you notice that you're really particularly time crunched or like you said, he's gone and you're trying to manage, you know, running the household by yourself that you'll incorporate because you know that they're the most effective, you know, modalities for training for this particular type of hunting and for these events? Um, for right now, mostly what I try to do is, like I said, um, going to the gym and, do, and doing those um, V classes. Those have, For me, it's hard for me to go to the gym and just do a workout on my own. I'm the kind of person who really enjoys doing it in a group setting, mm-hmm. um, partly because I just need the motivation of having other people around me and watching them. Um, and I'm also kind of a competitive person, too, so it's fun for me to, to try to um, keep up with them. You know what I mean? And, and so right now, that's that's really what I try to make sure that I get that work in, work out in every day. Um, and it, they have a flexible schedule as well. So they do the classes like every hour. And then I also have a lot of girlfriends that are involved in that, too. So that's been um big for me is to kind of have an accountability group where we're kind of keeping in touch being like, Hey, I'm going to the V class today. Are you going to be there? Um, so on the days that I'm thinking like, Oh, I don't know if I'm going to make it to the gym, but then I get a text from my girlfriend, like, Hey, you want to meet me at V? I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll make it. Um, so that's kind of what I'm doing right now. That's such an important piece. I think having the accountability from somebody else that's going to call you out if you're yeah. not, you know, if you're not willing to put the skin in the game, they can call you out and say, uh, no, you don't. You're coming. You know, <laughs> right. it's good to have that. It's really good to have that. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, and my husband's helping me with that, too. He's he's big into fitness. I guess I can say that's his equivalent for what hunting is to me. That's my husband saying is fitness. Um, and so having him keep me accountable um, and he's doing the train to hunt too. So him and I are going to start doing workouts together. And, um, he got a, a pack ready for me, like a weighted pack so that we can start training with that. Um, so I'm looking forward to, you know, sharing that activity with him. It's the train to hunt's going to be really awesome for us. Cause I think he's excited that I'm getting involved in the fitness side of things, which is his thing. And I'm excited that he's getting involved in like the hunting and archery side of things, which has always been my thing. So, so cool. That's, that's when power things happen. That's really awesome. Good for yeah. you guys. So I have to ask you, and this is going to be a, an on the spot question, but there's a lot of debate, controversy, if you will, on this whole idea of huntress versus hunter and what that means to particular people. So as somebody who obviously can embrace the title of huntress, which I have pretty neutral feeling on this whole topic, just to put that out there to you, um, what's your take on there being so much backlash to women who want to use or, you know, hashtag the, the phrase huntress? Yeah, I'm kind of at odds with that too. I go, I always go back and forth about how I feel about it. I mean, for one, I feel like it's really unfortunate that there's uh, a bad connotation with it because there's so many, like you and I were talking, like that's a growing demographic, you know, women and youth are like the two growing demographics in the hunting industry. So it's just like a little bit unfortunate that we're like, it's an uphill battle for us that we're having to kind of like prove ourselves. Um, 
you know, like I've heard you talk about on other podcasts, like the word legitimate, like, well, she even legitimate. And it's like, it's just unfortunate that we have to try to prove if we're legitimate or not. You know what I mean? Like everyone has their own journey. I don't think just because we're female that, that, um, that we should have to try to prove ourselves any more than, you know, if, if it was a guy out there, you know, hunting, um, I definitely try to embrace that, um, you know, like I, I like the fact that I came into it and that, um, my, I, my husband isn't the hunter that it's me in the relationship, you know, like I, I have people that like come over to my house, like repair guy and he walks in and he sees the, the mounts on the wall and he's like, Oh, your husband's a hunter, huh? I'm just like, no, like, why is that stereotype still out there? You know, I'm like, no, those are actually my animals. And then it's always like, oh, my gosh, really? And and so I'm glad that there's that there's more women that's like breaking, breaking down that stereotype. And if they want to call themselves huntress versus hunter, like more power to them. Like, I don't think that, you know, they need to be shamed for that. They're out there doing their thing just as successful as, you know, if it was a guy, like, let it be. Yeah, I definitely agree with you in that, that the the title behind it doesn't make what the outcome is, essentially. And there are such stereotypes that to this day and will always remain. You know, I had a guy pull up into camp this year and go, you know, like, where basically, where are the guys? You must be the cook, like, literally. And for me, as somebody that's grown up in hunting camp, I I laughed at it. I laughed at it because it's funny that people still have a mentality that we are so regressed in our capabilities that we can't be providers, you know, and I think it's it goes with any other thing. It's hand in hand. There are stereotypes about like any facet of life. There can be a stereotype behind either the race of somebody or the sex or the orientation with everything, there's those stereotypes. And I think the difference between being a huntress uh, and being somebody who is trying to portray something are two completely different things. And it yes. was funny because Stephen and I were talking about this the other day because obviously I work with a ton of women and we're all driven differently. And there are some people who are hunters, right? Because we're all, in my opinion, we're all hunters mm-hmm. that that are feminine individuals that want to keep that femininity in what they're doing, whether that's hunting or if that's running or if that's, you know, meeting up with a group of friends, there are some people that just, that just are that more than others, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so I think for those people, and like for somebody like yourself, you're not out here as this, you know, quote unquote, typical hunter or excuse me, huntress that everybody wants to, you know, point fingers at going, I have a bow and no arrows or I am at full draw with no arrow or my bow's upside. Like you're not some, you know, and I'm going to be honest and just totally say you're not some dimwit out there that's trying to be something you're not. You are embracing who you are as a woman doing what you love doing. It doesn't matter that that's a man or a woman's sport or where that originated, right? Because we all are able to be in that role. So um, I I totally agree with you. It's all in the connotation. Excuse me. It's all in the connotation that people put behind it and the actions that they take that portray that word, no matter what the word is. Right. Yeah, I 100% agree. And what's uh, something actually recent that happened here in Washington is they just passed a bill. You know, traditionally, uh, we have to wear hunters orange. 
uh, for the hunting seasons, and they just made it so that now you can do fluorescent pink as a second option. And so I found out about it in one of the hunting Washington hunting groups that I'm on, where they someone posted the article, and I was like shocked at how much people were just like irate about that and all like the negative comments about that now what people could wear pink in the woods and it all kind of you know goes on the same lines as the huntress stuff like the same type of people maybe making the same type of comments and I was just like who cares like it's a color like if it comes down to the bottom line which is being able to hunt safely so that you know people can see you when you're out there and pink is just as recognizable as the oranges that's all that matters you know what I mean like so it just kind of blows my mind the yeah. stuff that people get upset about it's it's so crazy and we could honestly talk about this topic for like an endless amount of time but the truth is like there will never be an end to it hunting is no. something that primarily started with men leading the way it was socially acceptable that women would take care of everything else and men would do the the hunting so i think that there's such a connection for men to protect what they feel like is theirs and this is just my two cents that now that they're seeing women come in and be extremely successful and very knowledgeable and able to do this on an equal playing field, it's offensive to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And there are some, like we said, that just will never accept the fact that women can play the same game and we can do it however we want to do it. Just like at what point have you ever had had or heard women attacking men for for the way that they do hunting like you just don't you just don't hear that you know right you're either a douchebag and people are calling you out on it or you know mind your own business that's kind of my yeah that's kind of my feeling about it (laughs) but I agree you know like I said there's gonna be people who are posing to be anything that you want and if you're listening to this and I I, you know I hate offending people that's not my go-to thing but if you're a dimwit, then you're a dimwit. Like you just have to own that part. If you're <laughs> yeah. not, if you're not and you're out there and you're doing what you want to be doing and you're being passionate and you're being a huntress and you're doing it with a feminine touch, girl, do it. Who cares yeah. what yeah. anybody else thinks about the phrase huntress? That's just my opinion though. Yep. You just have to ignore it and move on <laughs> not let it get you down. Exactly. I agree. Well, Sarah, we're going to have to see how this episode is received for sure. But I appreciate you taking the time to get on and connect with me and to share some of those stories. I am like counting down the seconds until hunting season is here. And then I have a legitimate excuse to do something other than work. Yes, agreed. Thank you for having me on. It was awesome chatting with you. So if people want to connect with you and reach out and learn more about you, follow along on what you're doing, where can they find you? Um, I'm probably most active on my Instagram account, which is uh, PNW and then the underscore and then Huntress. <laughs> There's that word again. Awesome. So, um, yeah, if you want to private message me and reach out, I would lo- I would love to hear from you. I'm truly inspired by all the women um, on Instagram and through your podcast. Like, I have to say, I absolutely love that you took the leap of faith and started an all women's podcast I was so excited and I've been listening to them so thank you for for providing that resource for all of us oh my gosh thank you so much my smile is uh gonna break my cheeks here in just a second (laughs) 
But I, you know, it's you're a part of this and you are what's helping it grow and you're what's helping it reach other women and inspire them. So thank you very much for being a part of it and for taking the time. Yes, thank you. Well, ladies, that does it for this show for today. I hope that you found some inspiration, some good advice, and definitely some encouragement to take with you on the rest of your week. I'm already looking forward to coming back next week and giving you some more insight, some inspiration, and some tips on how to navigate your best life. Please be sure to hit the subscribe button and leave a review. Your feedback is so important to me. I would love to know the questions that you have, any topics or ideas, and your feedback. You are so valuable to me, and I really appreciate you taking the time to leave the review and subscribe to the show. See you next week on Her Inspired Journey.